This is a Federal News Network podcast. Federal employees will be getting a nice raise now that 2023 is well entrenched, but federal contractors aren't totally certain they'll be able to get inflation adjustments from their agency customers. That's despite the fact that the defense authorization law specifically mentioned contract modification for inflation relief. What's going on? Well, let's check in with the president and CEO of the Professional Services Council, David Berto. David, why are contractors not sure they're actually going to be able to get that inflation recovery? Well, Tom, of course, inflation has been with us now for well over a year. And so we've got a long history here of of what the impact is on, on contractors. DSC member companies have been talking about this with us for quite some time. There's a number of reasons why your costs go up above what you bid. Right. There's just core inflation, which is running still at 7% uh, year over year. Then there's the fight for talent, for labor, right? because you've got such a tight labor market, 10 million vacant jobs and only 6 million people looking for work. Wages have gone up on average 4.6% uh, year over year for the past several months now. And so companies have costs that they're incurring that wasn't in their bid. And guess what? If they had actually bid 7% inflation and 5% wage growth, they probably wouldn't have won the bid because somebody else would have bid a lot lower. So the government's reaction in many cases is, hey, you bid it, you perform it. So those costs are not getting recovered. There's two dynamics there. One is, do you have the authority to do it? The second is, do you have the funding available to do it? So DOD has put out a couple of memos. GSA has put out memos. Other agencies are following those memos, even though they haven't put out their own. In DOD's case, they mostly focus on fixed price contracts, and they kind of say, suck it up, right? Uh, There's not a lot of opportunity here. GSA has taken a more open-ended approach. It's saying you can file requests for equitable adjustment. They've removed the cap on those uh, requests. You can file more of them. So we've really got a dichotomy in terms of the way the government's approaching. But the real issue now is what happens going forward. And as you point out, the National Defense Authorization Act included a provision specifically to allow uh, DOD to look at reimbursing companies for uh, for inflation related costs or just increased costs, you know, whether it's workforce or inflation or supply chain or raw materials or transportation or any of those things. You can't really sort that out. So I think there's a path forward. The question is, are they going to take it? Right, because agencies sometimes have ways of dragging their feet, to put it less politely, or slow walking these types of initiatives, or just making it so convoluted for the contractor that next thing you know, the fiscal year's over, and that's the end of that. Well, and as you know, laws don't self-implement, right? A change in acquisition policy has to go through the Administrative Procedure Act. You're going to have to have a proposed rule. You have to have comments on those rules. And then, so we're looking at well past uh, uh, you know the first part of this year before any of that's put into play. Uh, in the meantime, though, costs still go up. Companies still have to incur it, and uh, and they've got to get reimbursed for it, or else you know they suffer. This is particularly hard on smaller businesses, which don't have a balance sheet, uh, which face much higher uh, uh, cost to borrow money now uh, if they were going to go to their line of credit. And so I think uh, we're going to have to watch this very closely. You're right. The administration, I mean, the, the NDAA includes a 4.6% increase for the military. Uh, the president just signed an executive order over the holidays giving a 4.6% increase for, uh, for uh, uh, government civilian employees. It would be foolhardy to think that companies that do business with the government aren't in the same boat as the military and the civilian personnel. Something needs to be done. Sure. We're speaking with David Berto. He's president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. And just to wind up that one, we should also note that, yes, the military budget is up in the what constitutes nowadays the appropriations bill, the omnibus. 
but that doesn't mean that the money is specifically available for inflation and contracts. I mean, most of that money is spoken for. That's a good point. A huge increase, right? Uh, $45 billion over the president's request, and that was already uh, 30 or $40 billion over last year. That included some money for inflation built in. Where Congress, though, added money is either places where it's easy to account for inflation, fuel costs, military construction projects where you can actually put the inflation money on the project, or they actually added money, but they required more work for that money. So, you know, you, you increase a particular line of, uh, of the budget, but you actually expect more outcome. So the unit price may stay the same, the labor rate. We're seeing agencies uh, still put out contract proposals, Tom, that has an escalator clause of barely 1% per year. Tell me where inflation is 1% per year, and we'll see who bids on that and can perform. Well, nowhere in this hemisphere. And the other issue now is that we have a Congress that will be seated and operational. I guess the Senate was already going, and they sort of took some votes and went home, and then the House did its maneuver to come up with a speaker, let's say. I would say it's not divided government. It's more fractured government. And what's your sense of how that will affect the implementation of programs now that there is a budget for this fiscal year? Well, that is the question of the day, the week, the month, and the year, isn't it? So, so Tom, I first came to town to work uh, in the federal government uh, in 1981. And in the 42 years since then, we've actually had divided government. That means at least one House of Congress of a different party than the president in 29 and a half of those 42 years. And it'll soon be 31 and a half or 44 years, right? So it's not unusual. It's actually about three quarters of the time that we're dealing with this. And we have frequently found ways to be very productive uh, as a result of that. You know, the Budget Reform Act in 1996 was passed under that divided Congress. Uh, we've had a, a whole host of good, uh, good work that's come out of that. On the other hand, certainly the events of the last week don't bode well for speedy uh, resolution of issues. Now, many of these are important questions. What should the government be spending its money on? How do you deal with the deficit? Uh, how do you deal with the debt? You know, uh, those are all critical and dynamic issues. I think one of the important things for the White House to focus on, though, is they've already got a lot of money. They've got a lot of programs in place. Rather than uh, focus solely on the legislative agenda with the new Congress, focus on implementing and executing the programs and the funds they already have in place. That's what contractors are ready to perform on. That's what's needed. There is a lot of work to be done you know, in the oversight area, too, because like the infrastructure bill doesn't really have much in the way of oversight mechanisms the way some of the earlier appropriations outside of the normal governmental appropriations that we've seen for pandemic relief. They had, whether or not they were implemented very well, but they did have specific provisions for oversight and accountability. Exactly. And I, I would hope that, that that oversight would focus actually on implementation and execution, not just on political gamesmanship associated with the programs and, and the funding, right? Because uh, there's plenty of, of work to be done. One of the biggest challenges we just talked about in the inflation is uh, the workforce shortages. That's not only a problem for contractors. It's a problem for the government itself. We have agencies that have 10, 15, 20, 30, even 40 percent vacancy rate in their program offices and their contracting officer workforce. Those need to be addressed quickly. You can't oversee that which isn't being done. Right. That's true. And that hiring issue also has to do with the fact that some of the nominations, I think uh, that about 100 nominees were renominated at the beginning of the 118th session by the White House. And very often programs don't go anywhere without, quote unquote, permanent leadership in place. 
at the political level to make sure they do happen. That's always the case. You know, we, we only vote for one executive branch employee, or really two, the president and the vice president. It's really up to that, that individual to populate the agencies and the bureaucracy with the people to implement their, their objectives and their programs, right? Um, it's common for the first two years of the administration to have nominations that die at the end of the Congress, right? As soon as Congress adjourns, sign die, those nominations that have not been confirmed cease to be valid. And what's really unusual, and I think a, a very positive sign is, on January 3rd, the president renominated, submitted renomination packages for 100 of those nominees whose, uh, whose nominations had, had died with the end of the 117th Congress. That, in my experience, is very unusual, and it's off to a very good start. It is true that those, there's some very qualified people there. They need to be confirmed. I think the real question is how fast does the Senate move on this, right? Um, you've got a 51-49 majority of the Democrats now. This has major implications for the committees, Tom, because under 50-50, you had exactly an equal number of Republicans and Democrats on each committee. Now you have a majority of Democrats on every committee. So they should be able to move these nominees faster. Um, then the final question is, do they actually get confirmed once they're out of committee? And the Republicans have made it clear that most confirmations will have to be done through the time-consuming process of cloture. But rather than wait until November or December like we did last year, maybe the Senate can move rapidly on some of these people, get them in place so that implementation and execution focus that I talked about will actually have the hands on the steering wheel to make it happen. It's going to be an interesting couple of months ahead, that's for sure. No question about it, and uh, you'll be watching all of it, and I'll be here with you when you need me. David Berto is president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. As always, thanks so much. You're welcome, Tom. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership Today especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they ba- they basically were in d- direct care, and and I will say, and on a, obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes. And um, so I was I was drawn when I, I and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired. And um, I learned 
uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, it's often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism and, and and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working the Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at special olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded yeah. everyone is equal at special olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot but you go to special olympics and everyone's involved everyone's welcome everyone's equal and I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks 
the play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to to create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.